in certain church traditions to demonstrate reverence for the Word of God, the worshipers stand for the reading of Scripture. That is not such a bad idea. If you are able, I want to invite you to stand as I read our passage for this morning from Hebrews chapter 13. I'd actually like to begin with the last couple verses of Hebrews 12 because it sets the stage. The Word of God. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. For indeed, our God is a consuming fire. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled, for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The word of God. Please be seated. That wasn't so bad, was it? Get up, get the blood circulating. Show reverence for God's word. What we have here in Hebrews chapter 13 is a list. And we are not list people, are we? Christianity, our faith, does not consist in a list of things to do in order to be okay, right? We would all affirm that. So it's important that we get uh, a contextual understanding for the list that we have before us. And like I said, it begins with the last couple of verses of Hebrews chapter 12. The lectionary readings, which I've been following recently, and for those of you that are not familiar, the lectionary is a set of texts that some people have chosen and set aside to correspond to each Sunday of the, of the year follows the Christian year, and they're arbitrarily chosen. There's nothing special. They're not sanctified. They're not better than other passages. They're just set aside, and a lot of people in the Christian church follow this tradition and look at these texts on those Sundays. I know that's not been really a huge part of our tradition at First Baptist, but we're all about introducing new things, aren't we? And props to Brother Devin because our worship service every week is thematic. It follows a theme. 
and I give him like a little tiny bit of what I'm thinking, and he takes that and he thinks my thoughts. I don't know how he does it. He's got it like a little box on his desk that he puts it into, and out comes everything that we do on Sunday, but it always matches and corresponds beautifully. I love it as, uh, as I'm singing and watching as this unfolds. I'm like, man, I'm grateful for you, brother. Thanks for everything that you do. Now back to Hebrews. We looked at chapter 11, which is the great faith chapter, right? Uh, these people had faith. This is what faith is. It was a, an example of exemplary trust in God. And then we dove back into the Old Testament last week for Psalm 46. Some of the latter part of Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the courage to stand fast. And because we're surrounded by all these witnesses, Abraham, Moses, Rachel, Rebecca, the rest, are all kind of looking down on our struggle. We run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And this was needed and necessary for the church audience to which the author of Hebrews was writing. This was a people in deep peril. This letter was written in a time in which it really meant something to be a Christian and to stand for Christ, and it might cost you your life. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying this is not a cavalier thing that you've entered into. There is no such thing as casual Christianity. For us, that ought to be sort of a, a wake-up call. It really should mean something for us to stand with Jesus. And chapter 13 is kind of the, the outflowing of that, what it might look like in our lives. But it's not a checklist. I want to be so explicit with you. We're not talking about checklist Christianity. We're talking about thankfulness. We're talking about a life of gratitude. Let us give thanks, he said at the end of chapter 12. Give thanks for God who is a consuming fire. You and I have been invited into this grand enterprise of Christianity and our lives ought to reflect it. We ought to be like leaky sieves. It just kind of pours into us and out at the same time. And it's constantly flowing, flowing out to the people around us. So chapter 13 begins, let mutual love continue. There's a lot of things that the church is. There's a lot of things that the church is not. But at heart, what it means to be Christian is to be loving. That's how they'll know. They will know we are Christians by our love. Jesus said it repeatedly throughout the New Testament and in the Gospel record. Jesus, could you just boil it down for us? We're so confused by all of the different things we're hearing. Jesus said it's simple, love. Love God. Love your neighbor. Any questions? <laughs> That's it, right? Let mutual love continue. This is more, my friends, than a lofty ideal. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we get rubbed the wrong way, right? By someone. And our hackles are up. And we've been offended. 
Somebody stepped on our toes. There's been a disagreement. This is the laboratory of life. This is where we work out this thing of mutual love. This is our priority, love. Love is a giving away of self. Love is not a protective instinct. All right. That's the beginning. That's the foundation upon which we build. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. There is that $64 million word that Mike introduced to us, hospitality. What does it mean? It sounds like hospital. That's not an accident. If you're familiar with the historical development of hospitals, what we know now as medical centers, you started out a lot differently than what they are today. What's a hospital today is a place where you go to get better. You have surgery, they take something bad out of you or they put something good into you, you heal up and then you go home on par with the insurance company's schedule, right? <laughs> but initially, hospitals were founded by Christian people as centers of hospitality, as a place where people would come who had no place to go who were cast out from their families, who were cast out from society. So hospitals were Mother Teresa centers where people would come and be cared for until they would die. Which brings us to another word that sounds a lot like hospitality, and it's hospice. That's the world in which I work in my other life. Caring for, providing care as a part of a team to people who have terminal disease. Uh, hospitals, hospice, hospitality is about providing care, providing welcome to those who don't have it. And then hospitals sort of developed into what they are today. But, uh, you know, a good way to think about what, what the origin of hospitals was is, is to think about the AIDS crisis, right, the AIDS epidemic, as we experienced it here in the U.S. and specifically as it was experienced here in San Francisco. And you had a large number of homosexual men primarily who were affected by HIV and AIDS and who were dying and who were cast out by their families and who had nowhere to go. And so you had these nurses that would sort of open up these centers and provide care for them. And remember, in the early day of AIDS, nobody knew what it was, right? The, the medical people would be gowning up. They wouldn't touch you. They wouldn't go near you. Families were afraid. They were, they were the cast-offs of society. But there were those who were on the front lines providing care with reckless abandon to their own safety. That's what hospitality is. Do that. Or... He says, don't neglect to do that. Show hospitality. Be like that. Hospitality specifically to strangers. You notice that in the text. Because in church, we're pretty good at providing hospitality to one another. Right? Because we're the good folks. And you come on over because that means next week we'll be going over to your place. Right? Jesus spoke about that. 
He said to the guy who invited him to the feast, he said, look, don't only invite the people who have the capacity to reciprocate your hospitality, but go out and bring and invite those in who can't repay the favor. Think about the people who are sort of on the margins. So think about your social circle, right? You have that handful of people that you're really comfortable with. But those who excel in hospitality are the ones who reach outside of that community of comfort to include the stranger, the outsider. Don't think of that only in terms of the haves and the have-nots, or the people who are in the church, the people who are out, the unsaved. Just think in terms of including people, and we're all people, right? We're all people. Another way to ask this, another sort of litmus test for you, would be to turn it upside down and say, who are the folks who are being excluded? Look around. You know, who, who are the people who are inside the social network? And who are the people that fall outside of that for whatever reason? Maybe they're just not quite connected. And we have, you know, we have good ways of sort of letting ourselves off the hook for that, don't we? Ah, well, they're not really connected. They're not really committed. They're just kind of on the fringe. And we'll wait till they come on in, and then we'll grab them. But it could be, you know, and then it could be. It could be that those folks don't want to be connected. There is that kind of person that comes in, and they just want to come in and go out and not be bothered. Don't talk to me about your committees and your functions and your picnics and your Sunday school. I don't want that. I just in and out. That's fine. We can respect that. But there might be people that are just sort of waiting for that nudge, for that bit of encouragement. So when we're all hanging out, having fun with our peeps, think about those folks who are outside for whatever reason. And consider, what might be a way in which I, we, could include those folks? It's just a challenge, something for you to think about. Hospitality, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Not entirely sure what to make of that. Sometimes scripture just throws in a little something <clears throat> that's kind of confounding. But there is a, a little bit of precedent in the Old Testament for this sort of thing. When, the, when, the, when there was hospitality and there was some who were kind of like, who was that? What just happened? Who was here? It feels different. And then think about the New Testament, right? Like after the crucifixion and the resurrection and everything went down with Jesus, and these two disciples were walking along the road, and then a third person just kind of appeared with them. And he said, hey, come on for dinner. And it was in the dinner, it was in the event, it was in the breaking of the bread that it was recognized that Jesus was here. And then he left, and they said, didn't our hearts burn? So something mystical, something beautiful, something that sort of defies explanation can happen in the middle of hospitality. And I don't know if you've experienced that or not, but we'll just kind of leave that 
hanging out there as something that is a possibility. More in terms of what hospitality looks like as the passage unfolds for us, all Grace's boys are here. Yay. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, those being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured physically. There's a call here to identify not only with those who are sort of beyond the social network, but those who are actively suffering as a result of the cause of Christ. And that becomes a precedent or a roadmap for us to follow in terms of those who are locked up, those who are excluded. Initially, and for the first congregation that read and interacted with the book of Hebrews, that meant those who were in jail because they were Christians, those who were suffering, those who were sitting chained in a Roman prison, being mistreated. And again, prisons then were a little different than they are now, just as hospitals were different than they are now. In a prison, you're just kind of dumped in there, and your family or your people would come and provide for you. If you were going to eat, it was because your folks brought you food. If you were going to be bathed or cleaned up, it was because someone would come and provide hospitality to you. That's what the author of Hebrews is instructing the folks to do. Remember those who are suffering. So then we stop again and take inventory and think about the people in our lives. Uh, Remember those who are in prison. Do you personally know of someone who's incarcerated? Or do you have a connection to someone who is? How can you be hospitable to those who are locked up? Let me ask you, I don't know if anyone here has done time. I haven't. I've been in a holding cell. I'll tell you about that later. But I haven't done time. But I know people who have, and I know this. For a prisoner, a letter is a big deal. To receive a letter as a prisoner, a contact or a connection from the outside, that's huge. And I would venture to say that you wouldn't have to go too far in your network of friends and associates to find someone who is in prison. There's ministries, Christian ministries, that do this specifically. You can research that. You can find out. Who are those people who are isolated? And when you say, well, they're not there because of Christ. They're there because they robbed a bank. I'm going to say this. Who cares? It just doesn't matter. They're there. And we have an opportunity to express hospitality to them. Think of others who are sort of disconnected from us, those who are living in, we don't call them nursing homes anymore. They're skilled nursing facilities. They used to be convalescent homes, right? They're skilled nursing facilities. Whatever they are, we have people in our families. We have people in our circle of influence who live in those places. What does it mean to those folks to have visitors company connection from the outside it's huge a lot of you know that you work in those places you interact with those people and you know that they have staff come in and do this and do that and sometimes the staff is friendly and hospitable sometimes they're not we have an opportunity to express hospitality to people in those situations think about the seafarers ministry you've probably 
heard about that a lot. What is the seafarers? The seafarers ministry is a ministry to the workers who are on those huge ships that come into the bay bringing stuff from who knows where. And those people who run those operations are not able to get off uh, uh, and step on land and hang out and go down to the pier and do stuff that we do when we're visiting. They have to stay on the ship. They can't get off. They don't have the citizenship. They don't have the paperwork. So the ship's in dock and they just have to hang. And Seafarers is about bringing resources and bringing people to interact with those folks, to cultivate relationships. That's pretty cool. There's so many ways that we can show hospitality that our lives can be about giving and serving and being available to people that typically aren't experiencing that. Now then comes this transition, verse 4, and this has, has baffled me and I, I've, I've puzzled over it. Verse 4, let marriage be held in honor. Like, where did that come from? This injunction to marriage. And now this, now what are we into, like a list or something? But I found the connection. Those of you that are married will appreciate that. Look at, back up to verse 3. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all. There it is. <laughs> and the marriage bed be kept undefiled. We're talking about hospitality. We're talking about giving. We're talking about serving. And all of a sudden we have this injunction to marriage. Not because it's torture. I'm only being funny with you. But because marriage is so important. As we're giving, 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 giving our lives away. It's like, wait a minute. Don't forget the most important and primary relationship in your life. For those of you who are married or to those of you who are involved, to those of you who are in an exclusive relationship, don't forget about that. Don't fail to nurture that, to hold marriage in honor. Because some people can be so busy giving, 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 doing, that they don't have anything left when they come home, right? And I say this, and it's a little bit of ouch. Because I was, I'm not a married pastor. But I was for many years, 20 plus. And the kid's mother would tell you that this guy was available on the speed dial for hundreds of people, but not where I needed to be. And I live with that. That's on me. But take that as an example. You can be so available, so hospitable, so much out there for everyone else, but what are you doing for the most primary and important relationship in your life? You've got to be nurturing that as well. Offering hospitality to your significant other. What's that going to look like? Man, all of a sudden it becomes pretty easy to be good to strangers, right? When you've got that one at home. That's tough. That's hard work to live in and love and consistently nurture a relationship with the same person 
year after year after year. Well, I'll leave that to better minds than mine. Keep in mind this injunction. Marriage is a pretty big deal. Marriage is important. Spend time. Get it right. Verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. And again, it would be so easy to kind of digress into a checklist. Okay, be good to strangers, be good to your spouse, and don't be too caught up in money. But let's look at it and let's think about how these things relate to one another, how they're tied in, how is money, what does that have to do with hospitality? Uh, there's a cost that goes along with it. You're going to have to fund this venture of hospitality. And if you're so caught up in money, the writer says, be content with what you have. And I can't stress enough, there's other places in the scripture, and it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So don't look at people who have money sideways as if there's just something wrong with them. Because we're a working class type of congregation. You know, we don't always have two nickels to rub together. And there are people out there that have a great amount of money. That doesn't mean that they're evil. That doesn't mean that their priorities are wrong. It's not money that's a problem. It's the love of it. And the love of money can be more predominant in those who have very little than in those who have a lot. The scripture is inviting us to consider our own attitudes toward our financial lives. Which means something like this. This money that I have, you've got a bucket, right? And in goes your paycheck, and out goes to pay your bills. And then you've, just, you've got money, and you shake it, right? There's change in there. There's a few dollars crumpled up. This money in the bucket that you have, is it your money? Or is it God's money? Is it your money? Or is it my money? Is it for you? Well, sure. Some of it is. I need fancy suits, right? I need a car. I need gas. I need this, this, this. But it's also for others. The money that you have has been entrusted to you to do something with, to invest in terms of the kingdom. So we hear stuff like that, and we're like, yeah, I know, i got to put money in the plate. It's about the offering, keeping the lights on at church. But think beyond that. It is all of that. Fill the plate, please, when it goes by. Put in lots of money. But beyond that, in terms of your life, how do you use the money that you have? Maybe you get a little windfall. I know, never, right? Maybe you get a little windfall. Maybe you get something in the mail you weren't expecting. What do you do with that? Hey, that's for me. I'm going to go celebrate, live it up. Or, hey, here's an opportunity to share, to be compassionate, to think about someone who has nothing. And it's just so easy to work this into the fabric of your lives. That money in your pocket, what's it for? Consider the people that serve you. 
Consider the wait staff. People that wait tables, typically not independently wealthy, right? They're working. They're making a buck. And there's a lot of cheapskates around. Don't be a cheapskate. Don't be a cheapskate. Leave no tip. Shame on you. Leave a tiny tip. That's a disgrace. These people are working. That's how they earn their living. Here's an example. When my daughter was here, Olivia, we went to a Mexican restaurant here in Alameda. Love Mexican food. And, uh, and the waiter there was like less than average good. It was hard to get his attention. But there was a bus staff kid that was all about us. Here's the waters. Is your water full? Do you need more salsa? Constant, constant attention. I'm not naive enough. I mean, Olivia was with me. She has her mother's good looks, right? So it could have been about that, but... Regardless of what it was about, I benefited big time. And so I left an appropriate tip for the waiter, but then I slipped 20 bucks to this kid. And I said, hey, thank you for making us a priority. I appreciate that. Think about that. Yeah, good for me. I'm a great guy, right? No, <laughs> there's just things like that that happen in the course of our lives. If we're paying attention... That was a way of expressing hospitality. And what did losing that 20 do for me? Nothing. My needs are met. Don't be in love with money. Be content with what you have and see it as an opportunity to express hospitality. For he has said, verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. So we end with this bit of presence. God is with us. In a providing kind of way, which means God's going to make sure that we have everything we need. There was a lady in my very first church who told me, about an old lady in church when she was a young lady, and the old lady would always quote this from the Psalms, and I don't know which Psalm, chapter, and verse. Maybe someone can look it up, and there will be a prize next week. It said, uh, the scripture says, I was young, or, or I was young, and now I am old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. I was young, and now I am old. Throughout my lifetime, maybe Hazel could attest, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, which means God takes care of his children. So don't worry about it. Be generous. Generosity is an expression of hospitality. Don't be a tightwad, especially if you're a Christian. And you go to the restaurant after church and they know you're coming out of church and maybe you're even pious enough to bow and pray and then you leave a skimpy tip that says to them, oh, that's what it's like to be Christian. Be elaborate and excessive and generous. That's the way we ought to be. Remember your leaders, verse 7, those who spoke the word of God to you 
consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember your leaders because, again, contextually to this congregation, they were probably leaderless as a result of the crisis. Anyone who was a leader in the cause, anyone who was on the front line, had already been taken away and locked up, and they were doing time for Jesus. So remember those folks. Remember the women and men who were pioneers, who led the way, who brought the gospel to you. Remember them and imitate their faith. Imitate their way of life. Imitate their hospitality. Verse 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What a great verse. Jesus is the same. We change. People change. Circumstances change. The amount of money in my pockets change. My relationships change. My jobs change. My neighborhoods change. Everything changes Jesus remains the same. Which means not that he's boring and predictable, but that he is always, always there. Jesus is the friend upon which you can depend when there is no other friend. Jesus knows Jesus cares. And Jesus offers us the capacity in friendship to him to be hospitable. To live a life that's open for business. Open to the stranger. Open to the spouse. Open wallets. Open purses. Open lives. Serving the cause. God, some of us have a long way to go. But we see the pioneers, we see the trailblazers, we see those whose homes are open in this way. We see those whose hearts and wallets are open to make dreams come true. God, we see those with gifts who are serving in practical, tangible ways as an expression of the love and care of Jesus. We see that and we want to be like that. God, give us courage and the capacity to care less for ourselves, more for others. Not in complete self-abandon, but in just taking care of ourselves and seeing ourselves as right size and having the ability to share what we have and who we are with the people in our lives. God, let us be hospitable. In Christ we pray. Amen.